Well, hello, everybody. Um, this is Christner Strategies. I'm Jenny Christner and uh, own Christner Strategies, where we help people make LCME visits fun and you can get it done. And I'm here today with two of my colleagues and friends who are going to introduce themselves and we are going to break down what happened on yesterday's LCME Secretariat call, the Mythbuster, the ever popular Mythbuster session. Let's go to Letha. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa Fallon. I'm recently retired Director of Accreditation and Compliance at Upstate Medical University and now work with Christner Strategies. Yay! Colleen! Hi everyone, I'm Colleen Hayden and I'm the current Director of Quality Compliance and Accreditation with the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York City. Awesome. All right. So we ahead of time kind of picked out a few that really rang with us that we really wanted to chat about. Uh, we could actually talk for like the rest of the day on all of these, but we know that nobody would listen or watch and nobody's listening or watching anyway. So it's okay. So, uh, so we're going to start off with our, with our top four. So uh, I'm going to, we're going to start with CQI and that was one that Colleen kind of wanted to chat about a little bit, that very first one. Yeah, so um, the myth that the uh, secretariat um, focused on was that each school must have a formal CQI steering committee. So that is a myth per the LCME, um, but in talking with schools and colleagues across the nation, very few schools don't have designated personnel who are, like in my position, director of accreditation. You know, every school has a faculty accreditation lead. Um, even if a school doesn't have a formal separate CQI committee, they've really pretty much formalized it into an existing committee and process through the requirement of meeting a policy of what your CQI does. Um, so yeah, the LCME can say all day long that you don't need to have a formal CQI committee, um, but it's a behoo of us to really consider, you know, how we need to formalize and articulate that within our institutions to make sure we meet the intent of 1.1. Yeah. I, I totally agree. So I agree. Almost every school has an accreditation lead. Uh, and the thing with the CQI committee is where, where I have a problem and whereas I don't know how they're training the people who go out um, is that we just had our visit very recently, did very well, by the way. But um, I know. Yeah. Um, but they, they, the team that came grilled us on our CQI committee and we don't have mm -hmm. a CQI committee. And, you know, we explained what we do and, and we we ended up passing just fine, but we got grilled with a lot of questions about you don't have a CQI committee. Well, then how do you do it? No, no, no. Well, why are you asking me that if, you know, you shouldn't have been spending so much time on it because it doesn't say we have to have one. So that was extremely irritating. And I think is a crux of just a lot of the problems and a lot of the myths come about because you have people, good people, they're people like you and me that have worked full-time jobs and are doing this, you know, from the generosity of their hearts but they're not well-trained. And I think that's part of the problem with where we get all the myths. Lisa, what about you guys? What did you guys used to do? Um, well, we did not have a CQI committee. And uh, what we did was all the um, elements that focused on curriculum were dealt with by the curriculum committee. Mm -hmm. They're the ones with the in-depth knowledge. So they looked at the data and then they you know, reviewed it and made changes in the curriculum based on that. And then there's a dean's executive committee. So higher higher level things would go to that committee, you know, like diversity mm -hmm. and uh, reports and even uh, mistreatment. It would go to mm -hmm. a curriculum committee and the dean's executive committee because they're the ones who um, work with the department chairs. And so we didn't have a formalized diversity or dean's executive committee, but 
the LCME, our reviewers felt that was fine and did not even, I don't even recall them asking if we had a committee. So it's so, it's so true. Like, yeah. how are they trained? And, you know, but are there's no checklist that says you have to have a committee. So why are they right. even asking about it? Yeah. But you know, it sure sounds like every site visitor might be different, but that's for a different topic on a different that's day. That's a different topic. And, and I'll just say too, because people might want to know like what are best practices or what are people doing? So how we do it, because I didn't really talk about. It. So we have somebody who's our designated accreditation um, director of accreditation, and that person really um, directs our review and then engages with, so we, we have lots of meetings, right? So student affairs, so we'll bring them in and we'll talk about their issues mm -hmm. or we'll bring to curriculum committee, like Lisa said, what are their issues? So we have a very regular way that we review everything and that we bring all the stakeholders in. And now I remember what was really funny is because I was from a school that had been on probation as well. Um, and so we actually were reviewing everything very often. Mm -hmm. right? We're not going to keep doing that, but that's what we were doing. And so I'll never forget, especially this one individual, you know who you are, um, said, kept saying, so really, really, you looked at all 93 elements, really? Like, and, 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 and at each like meeting would kind of like ask, so really, were you actually, did you actually, yes, we really did. And you know what? That's why we did so damn well at our visit. Okay. So take that. That's exactly so, right. so irritating. Like they didn't believe I'm like, yeah, we actually really did this. Like, I think the evidence is pretty clear and it was. And I think, um, I equate the, um, position of director of accreditation as like the air traffic controller. Like you're going out, you're getting yeah. all this information, you're bringing it and yes. sending it to the right people. So I feel like that's the most important thing that a school needs is that one person devoted to making sure that you're on top of all of the elements and making sure that the right people are reviewing the data and making decisions. So. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, that, absolutely. That, that ends it. All right. That was perfect. Okay. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> all right. Okay. So yeah. um, the next one I thought was Really, um, it was schools must have a mechanism for tracking individual pipeline program participants until the participants enter the workforce as evidence of program effectiveness. Well, one thing I didn't notice that they did take out pipeline in there, which they pointed out in mm -hmm. the um, in the session, which was kind of interesting. But um, I feel like my admissions people, all admissions people are going to feel really happy that that's a myth that they don't have to track individuals into the workforce mm -hmm. and that really they're just tracking the individuals into their next level of training mm -hmm. and that you're just really um you can use assessment tools like um, or evaluation evaluate the program how did they do what were the expectations how many people showed up mm -hmm. and how did they feel about it so I really liked that um, that was clarified for me. And I'm definitely going to share that with the people at our school. Yeah. And I, I think um, I think that is really good news. because I know that was really confusing to a lot of people. It, it is kind of surprising, though, how many people aren't tracking anything. Right. And then, and then your eight years comes around and yep. there's literally no data on anything. So yeah. that that is a problem. So I, I was worried a little bit when people would hear that, that they would think, oh, we don't have to track. But what I did think was actually something good that I think it was this Ronnie that did this one. I can't remember. Um, yes, I think it was. Yeah. 
you'll, I think giving those examples of the kinds of things that you should be tracking was actually super helpful. And so yes. I think some of those were like, what, what is the, you know, Colleen, you were talking earlier yeah. about what's the goal of this program. And so, you know, are you tracking just the goal of the program and are you doing satisfaction and, and that sort of thing? So that was actually really helpful about what to track. Although yeah. it did give me a little panic attack about, I'm not sure if we're tracking like student satisfaction with all of the programs or anything like that. Right. Right. Yeah, I immediately emailed my team this morning and just said, let's make sure we have a goal for each of these partnerships that we have, because partnerships now the term for pipeline programs. So just to everybody, pipeline programs have not gone away. So just change the nomenclature within the DCI, um, you know, but, but, you know, to Lisa, to your point, it's if it's targeted to high school students getting into a baccalaureate program, that's where the tracking ends. We don't have to track them past that. Um, but we have to make sure we're doing it. So the expectation is there that we're doing it to both your points. And I do, you know, I also have that little bit of a hesitation of, I'm not really sure exactly what we're doing with that, but I'm sure is going to find out and make sure we're doing it from here on out. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, all right. Next one is my pick. And so my pick was to talk about the, uh, the myth, we must keep students separated on required clinical rotations. So the reason why I actually love this one is because that is a myth. You can have you can have students from 10 medical schools on the same required clerkship if you want. But if you listened really carefully to what Ronnie said is that she didn't, I'm gonna paraphrase her words. Basically though, it'll make your life a living hell if that's what you choose to do. And so, I, so to me, I think it, especially as consultants, that's something that's like really important is that yes, you can have all your, have 10 schools together. But then you have to have, you have to look at that white paper and you have to have agreements and you have to have separate this and you have to have separate this and everybody has to know they're separate and you have to have different days and you have to, right, there There then follows like a whole bunch of unwritten kind of rules, really. There's some in the white paper, but there's others that are not as clear so that you can actually pass that citation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that what I call the hidden curriculum is that for so many elements, there's, this. you can do this, but... If you do that, you must then also make sure you are doing blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of the elements talk about, you know, how do you let people know about X, right? And so I, I am very um, probably OCD about how we, we do multi, always, multi, the answer is always multimodal. We never rely on one mm -hmm. mode of communication, you know, and then people will say, do I really have to do all that? No, you don't have to do that. But I'm going to tell you that if you want to pass with flying colors and not have to worry about this ever again, you better do this. And so this, I think, was just a perfect example of it's a myth, kind of, <laughs> you know, um, that. And so that's how I felt about that one. I don't know anybody else, but yeah, I feel this... like um, uh, you on paper, you can write down how you're organized and how it's going to happen. But when the LCME comes and they actually meet with the people and the faculty, they have to be able to um, tell them in an organized way how it's really how it really is. And I'm yeah. not sure it's going to they're going to be able to say what's on paper. And I think it's going to be too confusing. And yeah, I would discourage it as well. 
Yeah. Cause the last thing we need is a faculty member saying like, oh, I don't think I got those learning objectives and I don't think I know what somebody's required clinical experiences are, or, yeah. oh, you know, I'm sure I got them, but I'm not really sure how we're sent them or how frequently. And then, you know, you're sunk. So again, even if, you know, to both your points, even if you write it down on paper, if the faculty say something different, you're, you're unsatisfactory. So right. Right. It all has to match. Um, you know, yeah. I keep thinking that um, listening to these webinars is like listening to one of these like murder mystery podcasts um, because I'm trying to find these little tidbits that are going to keep coming up um, so I can solve the crime or solve the mystery <laughs> um, because it's that hidden curriculum and all these pieces and parts that are not written anywhere. But we still need to be very careful to make sure we're doing um what they expect without them putting it down in the DCI or in a white paper. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that was really well put. And I think that's Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. Very mystery. Um, And it it gets to also, I think that they, they even call this out triangulation, right. That they're trying. And that's exactly what you both described is that they're trying to see, you know, okay, that's yep. what the dean say happened, but do the students say it happened? Does the faculty say it happens? And that's where I do think there's that kind of the gotcha um, mentality mm-hmm. of the LCME. Um, it's really interesting because we're right now getting ready to prepare for our uh, SAC COC, so our regional accreditation mm-hmm. that's coming up in a little bit. And they seem very much not got you uh, in, you know, uh, to some extent, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, um, in fact, like you, they come and they tell you kind of ahead of time where are some issues, right? When you submit, then you can fix those. Oh my the gosh. Actual, before the actual meeting, right? And so you um, mean they give formative feedback that we're required to give oh, our students? They do give formative feedback. This right? is like, very interesting. It is indeed. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, hmm. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> the mystery. No. Um, uh, all right. All right. We, so we have one last one picked out that we want to talk about because um, we're seeing a lot more uh, schools get cited for this and it's seems to be pretty confusing. And so uh, Lisa wanted to talk about the double-decker element that they brought up. Well, I think they were clear on the myth of um, there's no specified number of hours, and that's very helpful. But I don't know if they're clear on how to calculate the hours and how how faculty are supposed to calculate hours for the required self-directed learning. And I was just thought I'd get your feedback on that and how you guys do it at your school. Yeah, we're in the first. Yeah, thanks. So we're, I'm actually in the process of working with one of our course directors to try to actually map that out right now. Um, There is in-class time we have to account for lectures, recorded lectures, lab times, um, readings, um, tutorials they have to go through. So how do I, how do I give um, an hour count to those? How do I give an hour count? You can't to reading. We're not supposed to, but at the end of the day, do the students really have adequate time to still sleep and eat, you know, relax and still get all their coursework done and preparation work done. Um, And I think it's extremely difficult. I mean, I've had this challenge for as many years as I've been in uh, med administration, really working with faculty to try to figure out how do you articulate and count up those hours um, and really try to ensure some sort of equity across the students that they have that unscheduled time? Because some students watch a lecture lecture twice, you know, they read slower than others. Um, you know, no two students are the same. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think we're, we got in ourselves in a little trouble actually with this one is that I think, and again, I, I should have prepped for this one. I didn't know we were going to talk about this. So uh, I think that we tried to use again for regional accreditation, there is some formula and I'm, I'm probably going to say it wrong. So don't quote me on this where for every like hour of class time, you assume two hours of, of out of class work. And yeah. So it's how you calculate like credit hours. Too. Yeah. Yes. yes right, that's right. Exactly. Yep. Credit hours. So we tried to use that but that actually ended up then being way too many hours, right? Like, you know, it was like right. 60, then 60 hours a week or something like that. So then we really have cut down on the in-class time. And I think we're, and basically saying, okay, this is your, there's 24 hours or whatever there is of in-class time. And the rest is basically your time for unscheduled to, to study mm -hmm. or whatever, because if you've only got 24 hours, then literally every single other hours is yours. And then I think how we're going to be following it is through the ISA, right? And so I think this is something really important if you're not doing this. So those I those independent student analysis questions that you have to ask for yeah. your um at the for your LCME visit. Yeah. Be the only time you ask them. These these questions you not all 77 or however many there are now, but something like that you've got to be asking on your course eval so that you can absolutely on the pulse of it. Um, so I think that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And I think another conversation for another day is going to be also the confusion though, of the utilization of self-directed learning. Cause we ask the students yeah. it, but then when we have the faculty really identifying how they do it, it's those four required parts that you have to do. Right. Right. So students and faculty still get confused that self-directed learning is they just do whatever they want to do on their own. And yeah. it's not, there is still structure to it. And I, I do get a little frustrated because um, there's not congruence there um, in how I think we ask it of the students and then we, how we have to report of it, of how we actually do it in the curriculum. Yeah. Agree. There is not. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, those, those were the four elements that we picked. Uh, any closing thoughts or words? I love, the, I love the LCME mystery uh, yeah. idea. Yeah. I know. I'm trying to think of like what we, we could have a really quite catchy name for our podcast. If yes, we, we do. do a series oh, of this. Oh, you know? oh. And we might get a bunch of viewers we didn't expect because they might think it's something that isn't <laughs> medical education accreditation. And medical education is so intriguing for them. They'll of course sign yes, up. Yes, yeah. They'll be like, this is not what I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> It's but not it's, what we yeah. thought it was either, so it's fine. <laughs> All right, well, maybe we need to have a viewer contest to name it or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> something clever. <laughs> I mean, it's almost Halloween too, so it's like a perfect time for this. It is, That's true. right? True, true. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just want to thank everybody. If you have listened to this as a podcast, like on your way to work or whatever, or if you've actually watched us on YouTube, thank you. Thank you. And if you need help with your upcoming LCME visit or just like your mock or whatever it is, please feel free to call on us. We would love to help you. And until next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>